Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Wayana Radio Net's weekly lecture series. I'm your host, Wali Abdurrahman, and today we will be listening to the first part of a lecture given by Sheikh Ali Atamimi and Sheikh Ahmed Kobesi on the topic of the Islamic identity, reclusiveness versus assimilation. Assalamu alaikum. The panel discussion that we are having today have come up in the uh, lectures that were presented by the brothers in my absence. And I don't want to be repetitive of what they have said because this it should be, uh, as a panel discussion, should be not uh, lecturing time, rather should as briefing and summarizing uh, time. And I would like to, right now, leave the microphone to Brother Ali Al-Tamimi so he can summarize the points that he would like and if there is anything that I feel I need to add, I will join in. Otherwise, I will just uh, ask for the questions. الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وبعد. I think it'd be fitting if I turn now the microphone back to Idris where I came from. <laughs> anyway, the uh, panel discussion uh, which we have uh, before us this morning is uh, has been entitled Al-Wala wal while living among non-Muslims between reclusiveness and assimilation. And I guess the idea uh, behind this panel discussion is that uh, Muslims, whenever they are a minority in a uh, environment where, of course, the majority would be non-Muslims, they normally face one of two uh, predicaments. Uh, the first predicament is something which we see, for instance, in the United States, in Canada, in Western Europe, and that is of assimilation, where they slowly lose their identity. And a number of factors uh, result in their loss of identity, among which is, uh, depending upon how open the society which they are melting into accepts them. Uh, If the society is one in where uh, the racial divisions are very strong, uh, then sometimes the assimilation is lower uh, due to that. However, at times when the society uh, doesn't make much distinction because of uh, such racial uh, matters or religious matters, uh, then the assimilation becomes quicker. Uh, The other alternative facing Muslim minorities is that of uh, annihilation. And this occurs when the majority has an animosity toward the minority as we can see, for instance, in Bosnia. Uh, Here, a Muslim minority uh, lived amongst a, or at least in the region around it, the the greater region around it, among a a majority which was, uh, had a great deal of animosity toward them. And so, therefore, they had no problems in trying to wipe them out, and we all know the horrors that occurred over the last few years in Bosnia and the ethnic cleansing. 
uh, similar to that is the minorities that are in other parts of the world like the situation of the Muslims in Burma where they represent a minority and face also the problem uh, of um, being uh, put uh, to the sword and also of course uh, annihilation or at least uh, you know very severe uh, 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 situations and similar uh, situations occur other places in the world I think which we are all aware of when a hostile majority uh, tries to eliminate, eliminate the minority Muslim population however for the overwhelming majority of the, uh, uh, of the Muslims in the West uh, they really don't face that and um, uh, by Allah's mercy I mean until now uh, the Muslims in the West have not faced uh, this sort of uh, type of uh, attitude that of annihilation and uh, trying to wipe out the Muslim population uh, yes it did occur in Andalus or Spain 500 years ago but with the creation of modern Europe and their uh, at least their claim to uh, democracy and their claim to human rights I mean even though we all know that for instance uh, these uh, ideas and so forth were not that uh, applied to their own populations like for instance the American Indian or for instance the uh, uh, you know black populations of Northern America and so forth but nonetheless they claim to adhere to this so for this reason it gives Muslims some sort of protection or at least we can say that the situation Muslims face in North America or in Western Europe per se is not as severe as the situations faced by other Muslim minorities elsewhere in the world where these type of uh, ideals are not held by that society however though what the Muslims do face though is the problem of the loss of identity and as a result of that you find that the Muslims have come basically with two solutions and these two solutions have also been noticed by the uh, Western writers, the unbelievers, who comment upon Islam. Uh, the first solution is what uh, we would call assimilation, and that is when Muslims eagerly and actively try to fit into the majority that is there, in the sense that they uh, feel compelled uh, to try to... Uh, change their attitudes, their way of practicing religion, their concepts, their so forth, in order to fit with the majority. Uh, I'm sure many of you might have heard, or it's, it's not uncommon to find, even in some places of the United States, even today, where some Muslims will try to actively, for instance, move Salat al-Jum'ah from Friday to Sunday, and will argue, you know, is this permissible in the religion? Uh, this is an example of a proactive sort of assimilation. Uh, and, and the other attitude which is faced by Muslims is that of uh, those, for instance, seeing this, they want to then therefore detach themselves from society. A reclusive attitude. In other words, seeing that, that the natural forces of being a minority sort of makes them slip into and adopt the ways of the majority. And at the same time, there are forces within their community which actively call to fitting in with the way of the majority there are others who try to say well then let me stay aloof and let me try to just sort of stay on the sidelines and avoid uh, this situation uh, although these are minorities uh, they do occur I and mean, you do find examples of that 
uh, amongst uh, Muslims, I mean, throughout the United States, whether as individuals or as communities. Uh, every now and then you'll hear a call by certain Muslims, for instance, to try to buy a plot of land out there in the wilderness and sort of have some sort of like, you know, uh, existence away from the cities and so forth, thinking that that might, um, you know, preserve them from any uh, of the effects of uh, the greater society around them. And likewise, you will find uh, some people who live in existence, you know, on the sort of the sidelines of society, in the sense that they really, you know, even though they are maybe living in th within a big city, they really are not part of that society. They're sort of just lost in the crowd there and just sort of going on day to day, day to day, and really not having an impact on their environment around them. Uh, this, as I said, has been mentioned uh, by... Uh, the non-Muslims. For instance, in a, uh, as I was talking to some brothers the um, other night, uh, in a recent RAND study, RAND is an organization, is a think tank in the United States, uh, on the geopolitics of Islam in the West, and it was entitled A Sense of Siege, The Geopolitics of Islam in the West. Uh, the authors uh, write this concerning Muslims in the West. They say, in blunt terms, Islam in the West faces two basic alternatives, Euro-Islam or Ghetto-Islam. Okay, and then they let's, they're going to explain these two terms. Uh, they continue by saying Euro-Islam, I mean a Europeanized Islam, implies the choice of full Muslim integration into European society uh, to the extent the Europeans socially permit it, while preserving Islam as a matter of personal faith and cultural preference. So in other words, they, you reduce Islam uh, just to a matter of your personal faith. In other words, okay, you believe that, you know, God is a trinity, I believe God is a one, you know, you believe Jesus is the savior of humanity, I don't believe that. It's just a matter of personal faith. It doesn't really, it's not a dynamic uh, way of life that a Muslim, you know, submits to Allah, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, say that my prayer and my slaughtering and my life and my death are for Allah uh, alone. This is not uh, understood by them. And then the alternative, the authors say, the alternative, uh, ghetto Islam, uh, is to seek to recreate Islamic society, uh, even with its religiously imposed social prescriptions, within European society on the basis of separatism. In other words, that Muslims are somewhat separate uh, from the majority. And you can see this uh, in, for instance, some immigrant communities. It doesn't, it's not as pronounced in the United States, but it's very pronounced in Europe. If you go to London, if you go to Birmingham, if you go to these cities, big major cities in the United Kingdom, and you go to the Asian communities, they call themselves. These are brothers from Pakistan and Bangladesh and India. And so forth. You find them basically as ghettoized Muslims. Just sort of, they've got their own neighborhoods and so forth. And really, they sort of practice a type of, you know, cultural Islam, and it has no effect on the society whatsoever. I mean, they have no impact in terms of, even with their great numbers, no impact on the greater society in terms of da'wah, in terms of uh, spreading the message of Islam, in terms of, you know, letting their weight in terms of population being felt uh, in the society so that, uh, that laws are, for instance, changed to allow them to practice Islam better and so forth. They still, you know, have, uh, even with their, um, them being there for maybe close to 50 or 60 years, they still do not have, you know, the schooling uh, there. They do not have the uh, infrastructure that is necessary uh, for Muslims uh, in order for them to live in such great numbers uh, in the Western society. Uh, now, uh, this um, uh, Euro-Islam, which I'd like to make a few comments on, and I'll turn it over to the other brothers. 
uh, has many forms. And one of the forms which is often uh, used uh, is the argument that uh, we are, uh, you know, all part of this Abrahamic tradition. This is some of the arguments often used. And, well, for instance, we find one writer in the United States, a Muslim, uh, he says uh, that it is the task of the Abrahamic traditionalists, and we'll see what this means, Abrahamic traditionalists, who at last are organizing within and among all three of the Abrahamic religions, uh, is more effectively to wage the war that has raged uh, since the founding of America between those who rely on divine guidance and those who reject it. Uh, in other words, the author is trying to say that those people who are traditional religious people, uh, and he calls them Abrahamic traditionalists, meaning that they're traditional Jews, traditional Christians, traditional Muslims. Uh, they are, finally, he's very happy that they're organizing within themselves, within each tradition, and also among themselves. In other words, each group is coming together. Uh, for why? To wage that war which has been raged since the founding of America uh, between those who rely on divine guidance and those who reject it. So, in other words, he's saying that they are working to build a more morally uh, better or, you know, more moral America and so forth. Uh, this is nonsense, uh, this type of ideas. Uh, you know, the Christians and the Jews are in need of guidance uh, because they are astray. And uh, as a result, uh, the idea that Christians and Jews and Muslims uh, can come together and, you know, work together in order to build a more moral America, an America which, you know, is more peaceful, more loving, you know, and sort of, you know, this is election year, so you'll hear a lot of these type of commercials, I imagine, this year. And, uh, you know, this is just ridiculous, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, sent his prophet, you know, with the guidance and the true religion in order to make this way of life above all religions. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَذِي بَعَثَ رَسُولَهُ بِالْهُدَى وَدِينَ الْحَقِّ that it is he who has sent his uh, messenger with guidance in the true religion to manifest it above all religions, uh, even if the uh, pagans hate that. So this way of life, this Islam, right, is supposed to be manifested over all ways of life. And the role of the Muslim, of course, is to give da'wah to other uh, human beings to bring them into this guidance. Because if these people remain upon what they're upon, their destiny is to be in the hellfire. Uh, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in Allah la yaghfir and yushraka bihi wa yaghfir ma'ajunan dhalika liman sha'ah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not forgive uh, the sin of committing shirk with him, but he forgives any other sin to whom he pleases. Innahu man yastakfir an ibadati sayyidkhuluna jahannam adakhirin that those who are too proud to worship me will enter into the hellfire and a state of humiliation. So people who commit shirk with Allah or people who are too arrogant to submit to Allah, their destiny is the hellfire. And the argument that Muslims and uh, the Christians and Jews, we share a common uh, destiny or a common heritage, denies these truths in the Quran. Uh, the other argument, which you find uh, also by those people who seek to actively integrate uh, uh, among the Muslims, is that of you know, modernizing the fiqh, you know, the issue of ijtihad. You know, yes, without doubt that the sharia uh, provides a room for ijtihad. And ijtihad, in general, uh, means that when a scholar uh, uses uh, his utmost um, abilities in order to find Allah's judgment in a matter in which there is no direct uh, ruling from in the Quran or the Sunnah. That's what ijtihad means. To exert your... Uh, 
you know, judgment, your, your exercise, your abilities, in order to find Allah's judgment in a matter which uh, there is no direct text from the Quran and Sunnah. An example would be, uh, even though the hadith has some weakness, that when the Prophet ﷺ sent Mu'adh to Yemen, uh, he's told uh, Mu'adh, uh, by what will you judge the people? He said, by the Book of Allah. And then the Prophet ﷺ said to him, and if you do not find it in the Book of Allah, he said, by the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. And if you do not find the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, you find what you need in the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, Ma'ad said that I would exert my fullest abilities in order to find the judgment. So, you see here, I mean, even though the hadith has some weakness in it, the point is, is that Ijtihad is understood as finding Allah's judgment in a matter after one does not have Allah's judgment either in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said in the authentic hadith that when the judge makes Ijtihad, if he's correct, he has two rewards, and if he's incorrect, he has one reward. Because he's seeking to find Allah's judgment in a matter. So he could actually find Allah's judgment, or he could be erroneous. Ijtihad does not mean that if you have a clear text from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, you think about the matter, and if it doesn't really fit the way you think, you say, well, this is my Ijtihad, and you change the ruling of Islam. That's not Ijtihad. And uh, that is, uh, you know, following one's desires, that is changing Allah's religion. This is the uh, sins which the previous people fell into and were destroyed. So, for instance, one cannot say, well, it's my Ijtihad, that, you know, people usually work on Friday in the United States, so, as a result, let's have Jum'ah, instead of Friday, let's have it on Sunday. Did not Allah create all the seven days of the week, so what's the big deal, Friday or Saturday or Sunday? This is not Ijtihad. Uh, but Ijtihad would be, for instance, uh, a matter like uh, regarding, uh, you know, Muslims uh, dealing with something that appears new in their lives, in which we do not have a direct text from the Qur'an or the Hadith, and then we have to try to f- use the scholars to try to find Allah's judgment regarding this matter by looking at the other texts in the Qur'an Sunnah or looking at the principles of the Sharia. Uh, the point is over here uh, that these are the two uh, dangers that are faced within the community. That of being uh, trying to assimilate. And within the Muslims themselves, there are those who try to actively call for this assimilation. Uh, nonetheless, the forces, natural forces of a minority picking up the ways of a majority. And likewise, the issue of trying to be aloof, just sort of, you know, being out there on the sidelines and not having uh, any way. So is there an alternative? I mean, are we uh, uh, condemned uh, to um, these two possibilities as mentioned by the author of this book or these authors of the book, that either we have a Europeanized Islam or we have a ghetto Islam? Or is there an alternative? I believe there is an alternative. And that alternative would be if we adhere to the Qur'an and the Sunnah as understood by the earliest Muslims. So therefore, we preserve our identities, the much of our, our abilities, and at the same time, we are an influencing force, an influential force within the society, as much as Allah allows us, in order to guide people to Islam. Only if we take this type of active and uh, uh, attitude, like the Prophet ﷺ took when he was in Mecca, where here the Muslims were also a minority, facing uh, or surrounded by a majority of unbelievers. And yet they attempted to give da'wah, they attempted to convert the majority uh, to, uh, the, to their beliefs, to their way of life. Uh, that was the only way to preserve their identity, and that was, the, of course, the only way uh, which... Um, 
of course, the only way uh, which um, they, uh, of course, by that they, they filled uh, Allah's command, uh, which she had created them for, that of worshipping him, among which is Dawah unto Allah. Uh, there was one other point I wanted to mention. Um, let me just find it here. Uh, the, the issue is that uh, just in case any of uh, sometimes people have doubts that uh, that it's wanted for us to actually change our religious beliefs, and so I'd like to put uh, and so I'd like to uh, put uh, some of that um, uh, here. Just quote one quote. Anyway, I might just paraphrase it if I don't seem to find it. Uh, it's uh, one author, uh, a very famous uh, Orientalist, his name is by Montgomery Watt. Uh, he wrote a book a couple years ago called Muslim Christian Relations. And in the book, he said, in order for Muslims to live in the world, I'm just paraphrasing him, I couldn't find the quote now. Uh, he says, in order for Muslims to live in the world, uh, they're going to have to give up certain things. And what did he mention they have to give up? He said, one of it is that they have to give up their idea that they're the only religion accepted uh, by Allah. That they, in order for them to live in the world, uh, they're going to have to accept that there are other ways a person can go to paradise. And also they would have to, this would mean that they would have to uh, give up their idea uh, or their belief that uh, the Prophet Muhammad is the final prophet. Because, you know, there are other religions which claim prophets after the Prophet Muhammad So you don't have to give this up. And also they would have to give up uh, their idea that the Christian scriptures are incorrect. And also they would have to give up their idea uh, that, uh, that the revelation which the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu received is perfect. In other words, they, we can accept that it's a revelation, but it's not perfect. It has mistakes in it. So it has to be, you know, sort of um, modernized or it has to be improved uh, for the 21st century or now. So, these are just some of his comments. And I think with that, uh, I'll suffice at this point. And I'll turn it over to the brothers of the head of the judge. Is that okay? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I really um, would like to say I enjoyed the explanation and the, the uh, I would say the elaboration of brother Ali khairan, on the choices that people seem to limit Muslim to and I would like first of all instead of being worried about Friday moving moved into Sunday and these other issues we would like first for every Muslim to have an idea and a clear definition in our minds as to who is the Muslim is. Uh, the Muslim is as uh, Allah defined him and as Rasulullah explained, is not as what we see today people have been categorized as uh, practicing Muslims and non-practicing Muslims, Muslims sometimes who don't believe knowingly in the main principles of, of Iman and sometimes argue like even they don't even wait for the suggestions of the unbelievers 
to suggest to them give up the idea of the truthfulness or the last the Prophet Muhammad as the last Prophet they already volunteered to come up with such suggestions and to even um, uh, go further beyond that uh, as we need there are many periodicals from uh, uh, people who have really Muslim names and they think of Islam in terms of a postmodern uh, way of thinking that Islam uh, evolved and I would say uh, goes through evol- evolution like the Christianity and other religions and we have to understand Islam today and when you argue this is not what the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu said or this is not what the Quran said they are going to say which, whose Islam we are going to follow your Islam or the Islam of that person so they are making not only one Islam with capital I they have Islams with small I and uh, many Islams your Islam is, uh, should not have superiority or should not be the basis for judgment uh, of other person or other person's Islam I would say but if we are talking about the issue of al-wala and al-bara uh, we are talking about the essence of iman and the essence of Islam itself manifested into practice and I would say that we have to uh, take into consideration the elements of al-wala into our minds and our hearts and at the same time the issues of or the elements of al-bara detachments of the unbelievers and from the unbelievers and and uh, uh, etc shouldn't cause us to trespass the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just because of detachment. I will give you an example. For instance, we have seen some Muslims who mistreat and at the same time probably cheat the unbelievers just under the name of Islam. And that is wrong. Because Rasulullah says, أَدِّ الْأَمَانَةَ إِلَى مَنْ اِئْتَمَنَكَ وَلَا تَخُنْ مَنْ خَانَكَ either trust to those who have trusted you and do not cheat those who have cheated you and some people mistreat their parents under the name of Bara while Rasulullah when Asma was uh, not sure about how to deal with her mother when her mother offered to visit her and give her gifts and she asked the Prophet should I keep good relations with my mother and the Prophet told her to keep good relations with his mother with her mother as long as she's not going to influence her to do something that is against the religion. And I go back to the issues of Al Wala. Al Wala really includes very important elements. One of them is Al Mahabba, love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for Rasulullah that, uh, that is not given to anybody not in the magnitude not in the way not in the results or consequences Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ and from the people who would take others as beloved as much as God as much as Allah and here, as much as Allah could be interpreted or understood in different ways, in two different contexts. 
Some people where they love Allah, they love other people in the same way. And in the same degree they love Allah. That's wrong, that's not acceptable by Allah. And in another meaning, some people who love other people as they should love, have loved Allah. Instead of loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they love other people in, in the place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Both of them are shirk. And what is how love of Allah is manifested? Love of Allah manifests and love of Rasulullah manifests in the obedience, the complete obedience that if Allah calls you or if Rasulullah calls you to something and other people, even all the entire world would call you to another different thing, then you wouldn't give up the order of Allah just to please people. As the, uh, the poet says, تَعْصِلْ إِلَهَ وَأَنْتَ تَزْعُمُ حُبَّهُ إِنْ هَذَا لَعَمْرِي فِي الْقِيَاسِ شَنِيعُ وَكَانَ حُبُّكَ صَادِقًا لَأَطَعْتَهُ إِنَّ الْمُحِبَّ لِمَنْ يُحِبُّ مُطِيعُ You disobey Allah while you claim to love Him. That is a very bad and very silly analogy. Had your love been truthful or sincere, you would have obeyed him because the one who loves another would obey him. Would obey him. Secondly, the obedience, the complete obedience to Allah, and this is already covered. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Ya ayyuhaladina amanu, Allah wa Rasul." All who believe, obey Allah and obey the Messenger. Number three, referring all the matters, all the matters without exception, to Allah and to his messenger alayhi salatu wassalam. Meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن تَنَادَاتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ ذَلِكَ خَيْرٌ وَأَحْسَنُ تَأْوِيلًا Which means, if you dispute in one of your matters, refer it to Allah and refer it to his messenger. If you believe in Allah and in the last day, that is better uh, understanding and better practice. And also, support for this uh, uh, for the order of Allah and the order of Rasulullah I would say lack of understanding these elements as part of al-wala' had influenced our relationship with one another some Muslims have created animosity among themselves and the love and wala' for a Muslim would not vanish ever they may decrease and they may increase depending on their obedience or disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it will never vanish, vanish or it will never turn into hate and fight or animosity. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Ya ladina amanu, kutiba alaykum al al bil wal bil wal bil lahu min Even if, you see, you who believe, Qisas has been determined and made mandatory on you in murder. And then later on, the ayah says that the one who has been pardoned, has been forgiven by his brother. The brother is the killer, but he's still his brother and he doesn't. This part of brotherhood does not vanish just because of the crime. And our 
I mean, I would say, having destroyed relationship from between the Muslims, we have created another room for in the hearts of many within us to loving the non-Muslims and to substituting the love for Muslims with other things that are not supposed to be there. Detachments and avoidance of the unbelievers should not be at the expense of mercy because the Prophet ﷺ was merciful and sent as a merciful man to all mankind, not only to all mankind, I would be uh, uh, I would say uh, that's not right to say so, but to all beings. Should not be at the expense of being excellent to neighbors, being excellent to the people that the people who deal with you would find you excellent in your manners, in your way of dealing with them. Uh, I would give an example that Muslims are very famous of complaining from and that is let's say keeping appointments and promises I mean uh, uh, all the time when you have uh, most of the time astaghfirullah not all the time most of the time when you encounter a transaction with a Muslim often you find them that they are not keeping their uh, appointments they do not come on time they do not do the work they are supposed to and the, the unbelievers, not only the believers, the unbelievers should notice that we are more in this than anybody else in the world. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had started a surah, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, awfu bil'uqub. For you who believe, fulfill your covenants, your agreements, your promises. And should not be at the, ex- at the expense of justice. Muslims should be just whether dealing with Muslims or non-Muslims. In a, let's say, if some non-Muslim comes to you in a way uh, with a dispute against a Muslim, you have to be, be fair and you have to be just. And we have great uh, indications from uh, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala an, when he was uh, making a judgment between Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala an, and another Jewish man. And Sharif, when he was making a judgment between Ali ibn Abi Talib and another Jewish man, and etc. You have to be just and fair. I would say, we should not be put in the way that we have to exclude ourselves completely, or we have to assimilate dialogues among the non-Muslims are not always bad. There are dialogues and meetings and there are participation that is beneficial to the Muslims in the way that they influence such meetings if they are understanding to these elements of Fula and Bara and if they understand also the objectives what Muslims would like to get in this society what Muslim, how Muslims would like to influence the moral or immoral level around them and Rasulullah in Mecca prior to the commission with prophethood he had participated and helped the what is called helpful fudul he said way after becoming the prophet he said that I have 
contributed to, the, to this that I, that I do not wish to have the wealth of this kind of uh, camels which was called Humurunam, red camels. I don't want, and it was known to be the most expensive wealth uh, among the Arabs. And he said that I don't wish to have this kind of wealth just in exchange of my participation to that part. And I would see that Muslims really, um, uh, Abrahamic faith, we need to really to say, is it the people, our, contribu- our cooperation with the people who claim relations to Abraham, Prophet Abraham, or for those who have real, Rahmukallah, or for those who have real relationship and attachment to Prophet Abraham. If it is the second, I don't think anybody fits this category except the true Muslims. If it is the first category, yes, you can call them Abrahamic, but this is going to be misleading. However, Muslims really need to work with other people while preserving their boundaries and the lines of wala and bara in order to bring benefits to the Muslims. And then who can work? Those who have qualifications. Those who can represent the Muslims. I remember there was a group in one city in the United States where they, uh, people joined in the Interreligious Council and uh, they uh, joined in an organization called DAM or whatever. And there are different occasions when they have Hindus, Buddhists, and etc. doing their celebrations. And the Muslims were standing, were doing the rituals with them in a way to bring them together. This is not what we are talking about. We are talking about you preserve your identity and you at the same time work for Islam with the Muslims and with the non-Muslims.